This is uh, lesson number 26 entitled, Which Mind, M-I-N-D, and today is April the 18th, 2021. And uh, so this subject that I've picked is is, uh, not a simple word study uh, because there's too many words that that show up, uh, I, was, I don't want to say accidentally, that show up that are associated with the mind that you can't just easily find uh, in opening up a concordance or lexicon or whatever. Uh, however, uh, if you know enough about the Greek that you can understand the root words and <coughs> tracking down the root words, uh, actually you'd probably be surprised as to which words uh, are associated with the mind. But, uh, having said that, we have uh, not only the word mind that we're considering, or we will be considering that is the, the word that has to do with the heart, because the heart is associated with the mind. And uh, we're working off of maybe a dozen words here uh, that are the prime words. And, uh, and then we throw in the heart with it. It makes for a whole lot of things to consider. So this morning... Uh, what I'm going to do is, and hopefully this is the last time, we've, we've spent the last four or five weeks on uh, the good profession by Christ and, that we read of in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we looked at quite a bit, I think, uh, that concerning uh, the time of his, the last 24 hours of his life. And there's one more passage I'm going to begin with today. Uh, and, and then we'll move on to something else. Uh, my goal is hopefully within the next few weeks we will be we will get to Paul's letters, uh, his epistles during the Acts period. Uh, we also have to consider James and Peter uh, and a few other verses in there too. But uh, I'm kind of I don't want to say I'm avoiding the Book of Romans and the Book of Corinthians, but uh, I know it will take uh, a lot more to uh, put it in a manner that can be understood easily. And uh, there is a lot of, I don't want to say confusion, but a lot of discrepancy between uh, believers when it comes to what happens in the book of Romans concerning our old nature and our new nature. And uh, to the point that there are those who believe there is that that book is written to unsaved people. Uh, I don't think any of the Bible is written to an unsaved person. That is to say, specifically written to it, written to them. But uh, rather, there are passages of Scripture that brings a person to Christ. But uh, it's in the context of of a group of believers who are that the Paul is writing to, for instance. And he's, these are people who already have salvation. So anyway, I'm getting off track here, but. Uh, so there's a, a lot of things we need to consider, but uh, the book of Romans in particular, I believe, is going to be rather interesting uh, because uh, the question is going to be, are we talking about saved and unsaved, or are we talking about new nature and old nature? And uh, interesting, uh, the arguments you will get on uh, both sides of that. So anyway, uh, that's in the near future, and hopefully... Uh, the Lord will give me the grace to be able to put it in a manner that's easily understood. So, if you would, I'm going to back up a little bit. I've done this, I think, the last two or three lessons. 
uh, I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to read it in, the, in three accounts. This is concerning Peter and the Lord. And you know the statement he says when he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And this was one aspect that I did not bring out when I looked at these uh, verses. So I'm going to begin with turning to Mark chapter 8, 31 to 33. This won't take too much time, but I think it's an important, uh, it's, it's very important for us to understand this because of our relationship with the Lord. And so in chapter 8 of Mark and uh, verse 31, I'm going to read three versions or two versions of this particular thing. Uh, we've, we've, we've read it every week in, in uh, Matthew's account, but uh, I'm not going to do Matthew's account. I'm going to do Mark's and Luke's and John's this week. So in Ma- uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be re- rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked at his disciples, let's add it in Mark's account, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So the issue here is not that... Peter is being ridiculous or something uh, from a human standpoint, from our perspective. Uh, but he's challenging the Lord about this. And the Lord's response is what we're interested in here. It's not that he scolds him or rebukes him in a way that he says he rebukes him. But not in the sense that we would I think, normally think of. Um, let's turn over and look at uh, Luke 22. Over here doing this and I believe this is an important thing for us especially who are members of the church which is a body as to how we think of spiritual things so he's basically said there in Mark he says uh, I didn't read it in this manner he said uh, thou savorest not the things or you don't have you mind not the things that be of God but you mind the things that be of men and so what we're going to learn from this I believe is that there are things from God that we don't know uh, it has not been let's put, let's put it in or put it in the context of what we're reading here these per- people what they knew and what they did not know and it was just shortly before this the Lord took them together and he told them about the fact that there was he was going to have to leave and a comforter would come and that they would, uh, and they would know all truth as a result of this. Well, this is truth that Peter did not know and understand when he made the statements that he did and the Lord rebuked him for it. So in Luke chapter 22, in verse 31, we read this. Uh, yeah, verse 31 the Lord said Simon Simon behold Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat so this is before what we read over in Mark this particular event because they're at, uh, they're at a supper at this time he says Satan hath desired to have you that you may, he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted 
strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto them, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. So we might look at that and say, well, he's a pretty serious guy. He's pretty courageous. He's going to do all these things and whatever. And uh, the issue here is that he was ignorant of the purpose of what was going to happen. The Lord was going to give his life. He, they didn't understand that. They thought that a king, would, a, a messiah would come into their presence and take over all the other nations and everything would be hunky-dory in that respect. What they didn't understand was the suffering that was necessary. And, and, and that's in this context that, that we're reading here. He says, uh, he, uh, he said, I'm, I'm ready to go both with thee, and, uh, with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt twice deny that thou knowest me. Now, whether that's twice, three times, or whether that's uh, the thrice, or the, the one time, it's either three or six. We're not going to. Make a big ado over that, and uh, and therefore this is what this is how bold Peter was. Now let's turn over to John and read this account in John chapter eighteen. And verse ten. And you remember this happened that night that the Lord, uh, we read in verse, in verse 10 here, Then Simon, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the, the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I, shall I not drink it? So, once again, here's another reaction from Peter. And, and this time it was pretty serious business. But this is what, this goes to give us an idea of what these people thought, these disciples thought, that they could be part of this and, and not knowing how that would change all history. They were very ignorant of about what was to happen. So, let's go, uh, let's go forward a little bit into the book of Acts and chapter 2. And here's what... Peter learnt after the Lord died, and that 40 year, 40 days, I'm sorry, that they were together with the Lord. Here's something that his eyes and understand were open to, and I think we need, we can glean from this some things about what we believe and about what has been revealed to us. And what we're, what it's going to come down to is we're going to trust. We need to trust the Lord. Even in the times we're ignorant of the, our understanding of the scriptures. So, if you in chapter two, we know that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with tongues. And then it lists all the people that were the countries that were involved there, and there were twelve of them. It just so happens to be twelve, which is one for each of the disciples, so to speak. Uh, but we read in verse. Let's start in verse uh, twelve. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, this is Peter, and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, 
Be this known unto you, and forsake and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which would be normally 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, if you want to understand right division, look what Peter does with this particular passage here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall be, see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, beneath blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you compare that to Job, I'm sorry, Joel, uh, chapter 2, and uh, the passage that it uh, represents there, and I don't have it written down in front of me. I'm sorry, I don't, sorry I had that. Oh, yes it is. It's Joel 2, 28-32, if I wrote that down correctly. If you note, he stopped in the middle of a verse. This is, not, uh, this is somewhat like uh, Luke chapter 4, where the Lord stood up in the midst of the people and uh, read some things, and, and he stopped at one point, and then he sat down. This is very similar to that. However, this is after his resurrection. This is with Peter. And these, remember this, that these were now in the hands of the Comforter, and the Comforter being the Holy Spirit, or the power from above. So really when you read the book of Acts, you ought to read it in that respect, that this, these people were indeed led by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's where their power came from, and, and where the gifts came from that they each partook of and used during that period of time. And so if you read on in the book of Joel, and read chapter 3 also, you will note that that he he adds some things there, and so there they are uh, dependent upon what happens during the book of Acts. So it's just a lesson in the right division, trying to understand uh, there that aspect of it. Okay, so pardon me for all of that long uh, admission of things. So let's look at uh, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man. And I've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks. Notice he, he, his title is Jesus. In this case, Jesus of Nazareth. This is not, he did not say the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who believed would be using those words. So he's going after those who are unbelievers in, the, in respect to what Christ has accomplished. And so he says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man... He speaks as the human in the human sense, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now look what Peter has learned here. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. When Peter stood and rebuked the Lord, he had no idea what he was talking about. He had no idea that the determinate counsel, that something way back in the ages of time, before the ages of time, in the foreknowledge of God, something was taking place. And it was God's purpose and God's way of doing things. And he, He's the one who knows how to accomplish that. Now when we turn over and we look at Ephesians and Colossians and we, we read things there that are far beyond what we read here and during the Acts period and by the others who wrote epistles, including Paul's seven letters that he wrote during the Acts period, there were things that were beyond, way beyond our mind. And they're in it, and there are even now. I mean, how much do we really know? How much have we, do we really understand of what is written there? And so sometimes we need to stop and say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Lord, this is in your hands. This is your purpose, your purpose for the ages, what you're doing with us individually as, indiv- as individuals in the church which is his body. And we will never understand in this flesh why something is happening to us. And yet God knows, and he knows the end of it, and he knows what we need. He knows how weak we are, he knows where our weaknesses are, he knows how much we can handle. And he is very wise, and it has, it has to do with his purposes in the ages. Let me just read a verse that comes to my mind here real quickly in Ephesians chapter 1. with me a moment. Let me begin in verse uh, 8. I'll begin in verse 7. In whom we have redemption, the redemption, by the way, I'll just add that there is a definite article for whatever that's worth, through His blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So here's something we have that is according to these humongous rich riches of His grace. If I can put in that terminology. Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and in prudence that does not say that He has given us exactly everything we know and it's a done deal. He's doing it in wisdom. He's giving us a little bit at a time. And He's doing it prudently. So the things that we are learning, and I, we can sit here with all number of people we have in this meeting today, maybe 30, 40, whatever it is, and each of us have, we each of us are at a different level. We've been given a certain measure of grace, and each of us know certain things. Some of us know more, some of us know less. Some of us think we know more, we don't, unfortunately. And anyway, he gives us, he deals it out to us, and with his wisdom and with prudence. So he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. So here is something that goes way back in time. It's similar to what we read over there in Acts chapter 2. But it has to do with his reasoning and how things are going to have to come together. And so we're at a total loss when it comes to understanding, at least in some sense, the power of Satan and what we allow to happen. 
And it, it affects everything in our life. It affects everything that we think about in our mind and where we put our mind. The issue here is do we put our mind into His hands and trust Him for what what is His will. He calls it His will according to His good pleasure which He has purpose in Himself. And He goes on to say regarding the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in Him. Now, which of us can stand and say, I understand that 100%, not a problem, and understand the full purposes of God? That's, we'll only know that in eternity in my mind. But these are things that we need to keep in our mind that He knows. He knows how much we can take. He knows the things that we need to grow. And on and on and on. And we need to just let go of it. If it's possible, just let go of it and say, this is yours, Lord. And let Him uh, amaze us. Let Him make us be awestruck by how He handles every situation in our life. So, that, that was a 20-minute introduction, I believe, for today's lesson. But I did want to kind of conclude this last thought, these last thoughts that... Uh, we have in Mark and Luke and John and Acts and the things that we were talking about before concerning the mind. So if you're with us this morning, we're going to take a little trip back in the Old Testament and we're going to read about... One thing I enjoy about the Scriptures is we can always go back into the Old Testament and read a story of someone or read some things that happened in someone's life. And today we're going to find about the mind that Ruth so if you would turn with me to the book of Ruth, and we will read this, and perhaps uh, I believe we'll be good on time. I have some things beyond that, but I'm not sure I want to share them at this point. Uh, so let's see what we can do with Ruth. What kind of mind do you think Ruth has? Anybody have an idea? I mean, I wouldn't have guessed, but uh, we'll see here in a moment. the first letter? <laughs> the first letter. The first letter is uh, S. Steadfast. Very good. She's got a steadfast. She has a steadfast mind. And no. I looked at his nose. She has the mind of Christ. He did. Anyway, okay. So Ruth, let's read this. Let's read some things here. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. And I won't go into that right now, but uh, you have Bollinger and you have his notes. He tells you what each of their names mean. And uh, there's some significance there, or the Lord wouldn't have gone to the trouble of... Uh, sharing that with us. And they came to the country of Moab and continued there. Now, remember who Moab was? Who he descended from? Yeah, I, I don't remember, but I had to look it up. It was Lot. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Moabites came out of that, uh, one of the children of Lot, whom was... Uh, made drunken by his own daughter. He had two daughters and he had like, two children to them. So, you know, you take that in your mind and like you say, well, what's going on? But here we see that 
This was a Moabic, a Moabite. That's where her seed line was. And uh, so we're not going to judge her for what was done prior to that. And I don't think the Lord does. Uh, and we'll see how that plays into this book. If you notice the notes of, of, uh, of uh, Bollinger, there are two ladies in the Old Testament who have a book written after them. Who was the other one? Esther. Okay, good. And there was a Gentile involved. In this case, the lady is... Or, uh, no, uh, Ruth is going is going to be the Gentile, and in Esther's case, and and he mar- and she marries a Jew, and in Esther's case, it's the other way around. It's, she's a Jew, and she marries a Gentile. Something that to keep in the mind, because sometimes I think we overplay what uh, the Gentile role was during the Gospels and the Acts period. The Lord always had His arms open to those who believe. I'll say that if they were Gentile, or regardless of who they were. And we find out a lot more during the Acts period of, of uh, whom the Lord, uh, whom the Lord loved. So anyway, let's read on. Uh, and Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the other name and the name of the other, Ruth. And by the way, what, what does the name Ruth mean? It means beauty. So keep that in mind. And they dwell there about ten years. Keep that in mind. The Lord put it there for a reason. So we know that she spent ten years with, with Jewish people and that will help us determine whether or not she would even care about uh living on with that in that circumstance. And so uh, we read that uh, Mahon and Chilion died also both of them. Died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughter. Why will ye go with me? And there yet... Any, uh, oh, are there yet any more sons in my, in my womb that they may be your husbands? So right now there's an issue going on th- through Naomi's mind and that is keeping the seed line uh, known. And at this point it appears that that seed line is going to, or that she, she would not have any uh, further seed line. And the issue is going to become that by law, by Jewish law, 
that you would pass that seed line down to another who was a member of that family, if, if there was one. So that's the issue in, in the book, <coughs> book of Ruth. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clave unto her. And I remember way back I wrote an article once called Leaving and Cleaving. And uh, if you turn back to, to uh, what is it? G- Genesis chapter 2. I have this written down. Maybe I do. Genesis chapter 2. And I only mention this because, well, I'll tell you in a moment. Verse 20. Uh, verse, yeah. Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which, uh, which the Lord had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the, man, uh, unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, the narrator Moses writes, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Well, that, we see that idea here in the, in the book of Ruth. She cares about Naomi. She loves Naomi. And, and she understands to some uh, measure what is involved in this idea of uh, passing the seed line on. And so uh, it says, he uses the word here, that she clave unto her. Because she was part of that family, she was, and and she had that She's going to find out she's going to have a, even more of an opportunity. And she said, and let me check some things here. Okay, and, and she said, "Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back into her people, and into her gods. Return there after thy sister-in-law." And Ruth said, "Entreat me not to leave thee." Are to return from following after thee. So I'm kind of I want to emphasize the, these words here because they're important. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord to do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. There was a time that the Lord asked the question of the disciples, not too not too far from his death, and uh, he asked he, he talked to them and made him a statement to them, and he asked Peter, and Peter said, "Well, what should we do? Go to the Gentiles?" He recognized there was no one else that he could go to. 
And this is what she recognized because she, this gives us the idea that she has some pretty good understanding of something about the Jewish laws. Where the, uh, verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded, so here we have this steadfast mind, to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. That was all it took was the words that she said there. And she was steadfast, she was steadfastly minded. So this is the kind of mind she had. It's the kind of mind we have. Uh, and I'm going to read a verse out of Colossians chapter. Oh boy, I've got to read. I'm going to have to do like Ronnie and do a whole chapter here. I don't think so. But let's read some. Uh, let me let me find the correct place. Colossians two. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. It's Colossians two that we're going to read. Can get there. Um, and I'm not sure if it's chapter 2. Well, there is uh, in this passage somewhere uh, a reference to the word steadfast in the face. I believe it might be in chapter 3. Uh, well, forgive me for that one. We'll uh, we're going to pass on that, but afterwards I can find it pretty quick. But anyway, there is something about our faith and steadfastness, and it's in association uh, to. Uh, I believe it is in chapter two, but but anyway, we'll come back and catch that. Oh, here it is. It's in verse five. I'm sorry, chapter two, verse five. I'm going to read beginning in verse one. For I would that for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Slash Christ. I have I've crossed out the words that are not there, and of the Father and of Christ. To the mystery of God, Christ, even whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So there's a concern here on Paul's part that they're going to be deceived. And there was a lot of things that uh, that could have affected that. In, in, in this particular location. And in verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your ardor and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So chapter 2, is a, the entire chapter, speaks about a prize and a reward. And, and it's obvious that we need this steadfastness of, faith, of our faith. Uh, that is mentioned here. So uh, we'll keep that in mind as we look at this. So back to Ruth. Uh, we're not going to read the whole book, but we'll, we're going to catch the highlights here in the first two chapters and then the last chapter. So, so let's read uh, 
Where do we leave off? So, verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt with very bitterly with me. And I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they they came to Bethlehem in the meaning the beginning of barley harvest. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, we might add, of the family of Elimelech. And his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, Moabitess. Now here's here's the next few verses, I believe it is. Yeah, the next couple of verses. Once again, let's talk about what we kind of saw already today. And that was the fact that uh, there's a side of things that we don't realize going on in our life. Whether it has to do with Satan, whether it has to do with the world or whatever. And that we are to trust the Lord regardless of what we understand. The worst thing we can do with our mind is to sort out everything, analyze it and so forth, and come up empty-handed. Uh, we're going to see here that this is, I think this is one of her attributes, Ruth's attributes, is the fact that she was going to trust the Lord. And, and of all things, she was a Gentile uh, at that, at that. Even though she became, I guess you would call her a proselyte in the sense that uh, of what Israel and their laws were uh, concerned with. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, "Let me know. Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace." And she said unto her, "Go, my daughter." So now she's look. She's going out and she's going to just let go, and she's going to do some work. And she's going to let the Lord have have the reins here. And behold, well, I'm sorry, I'm this verse three. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hat, this is very old English, Anglo-Saxon, I believe it is. And her, it just let's put it in this word. It just so happened. This isn't a coincidence. Somebody has got his hand in this, and that's the Lord Himself. It just so happened uh, was on the light. She was on the light ladder. Was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, "The Lord be with you." And they answered him, uh, "The Lord bless thee." This is Boaz, okay. Then, then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. 
Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And the word fast there is cleave. It's the word we've already read. So when we read, I didn't say much about this, when we read back in Genesis about leaving and cleaving, there's something there that has to do with the seed line and, and this leaving and cleaving idea. And it is here he said he uses that very word. He says, "Cleave by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do not that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn." And then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him. Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take much of me, seeing I am a stranger? And here's her testimony. Here was her witness. And Boaz, uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me keep reading. I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet. And Boaz answered and said to her, oh yes, this is his answer. He says, it hath fully been showed me. It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother in law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not hereto uh, heretofore the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust and I won't we won't read on but as as uh, the, re- the next chapter goes through uh, he goes through a ritual of what uh, the procedure was for uh, taking on uh, the, uh, a brother's wife and so forth, or c- continuing the, the line, the kinsman line. And by the way, the real story here in this book of Ruth has to do with the uh, kinsman redeemer. And, and really, if you look at it from that aspect too, uh, we'll fully understand, I think, the book of Ruth. And so uh, he goes through this uh, period of time where he there, he knows he finds out that there is one who is closer kin, and he asks the question. He gets down to this question in uh, chapter four. And we'll just we'll close out this this book here real quickly, uh, starting in verse four, uh, chapter four. Uh, he says, and I thought to advertise thee, saying, Bite before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people, if thou wilt redeem it. So this is the one whom was the nearest kin, and he's talking to Boaz. He says, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it besides thee, and I am after thee. And he said, Boaz says, I will redeem it. Then, then said Boaz, uh, he goes on and, and goes through with this ritual. I'll just say that because we're out of time here. But let me see. Let's talk about the results of this lady's steadfastness. Think about uh, when we think about God and His plans and His ideas. She could have been put aside here, and uh, and, and the whole thing would have ended. That would have been the end of this seed line and so forth. But let's read the things. Um, here, beginning in verse, with me, 13. So Boaz took, took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when, she, when he went to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. 
And the women said unto Noam, Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. So Naomi, Naomi is going to be blessed. It sounded somewhat like she was uh, being punished or whatever she felt in her mind. But notice how the Lord blessed her. Not left thee without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thy age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loves thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. So here's a prophecy that this was this one that's going to come out of her seed line is going to be famous in Israel, and they, uh, and he shall be unto you. It's going to restore her life. Uh, so we read on. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, uh, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's begat Herzon, Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat uh, Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And so we can read something very similar in Luke chapter 3, when Luke presents the fact that the Messiah was going to come through this seed line. But, so we see that much came out of this little, uh, little story. And um, and it was all in God's hands, and it just so happened that she went to the right spot that changed history, shall we say? So anyway, we have a uh, a match made in heaven here, truthfully, uh, when we read the book of Ruth. But I think one of the things I wanted to emphasize was the fact that uh, there's many times we don't understand what we're going through in life, and. Uh, and for whatever reason, God has in his mind and his purposes that are part of his purposes in working all of those things out. I think every member of the body uh, he will give, uh, he's concerned about and in uh, every respect. And so it's something for us to keep in our mind. So I'm going to stop there and uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful word, for these thoughts and lessons that you share with us and you share with them personally and, 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 and how, how we need that close relationship with you. Thank you so much for uh, what has been accomplished through your son as the head of the church, which is his body, and, and the things that are associated to us. Make them real to us. Remind us continually how we need to be so grateful and thankful for for your purposes and plans. <clears throat> These things we take in the name of the Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.